Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. I'm so excited to share with you this message that I think God has put in my heart for us to celebrate Resurrection Sunday together. Earlier this week, a mentor of mine sent a message to a few of us pastors, and he said, hey, this week, I know you've got a lot of extra things going on. You've got a lot of programs happening, and you've got a lot of special things, and you're expecting a lot of extra people, and you've got all these great things going on. I just want to remind you in the middle of all that, don't get distracted by all that. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing, which is that Jesus got back up. Come on. And so I'm going to ask you as we step into our Easter message, I'm going to give you the same encouragement. I'm going to ask you the same thing. I know you've got a lot of things going on. You've got Easter baskets that you're getting ready and everybody got their fancy outfits on today and you've got family coming over and places to get to. But for the next 30 to 40 minutes, let's focus in right here and let's make the main thing the main thing. Can we do that together, church, as we celebrate Jesus, as we give him our whole attention and our whole energy together? Awesome. Let's be seated and get straight into it. We'll turn to the book of Matthew, kicking it off right where it all began. The book of Matthew, all the way at the end of Matthew, chapter 28, starting in verse 1. It says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, who's glad to be get together on the first day of the week, a reminder of new beginnings and fresh starts, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, I do just have to point out that these big old guards trembled and passed out, and the women just stood there and said, what's going on now? Okay, that's another message for another day, but it is worth noting that the women were all right. And then it says, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, who was crucified, but he is not here for he has risen as he said, come see the place where he lay. And then jump to verse 9, just so you think, don't think that they only took the angel's word for it. It says, and behold, Jesus met them. Jesus, risen, came and met these women. And he said to them, greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. And they said to him, do not be afraid. Go and tell. Because the response when you encounter the risen Jesus is to go and tell. To go and tell somebody that he is risen. To go and tell somebody that you have... Who who have you told recently that you have seen the risen Jesus? 
He said, go and tell my brothers and go into Galilee and tell them that I will come to, that they, there they will see me also. Come on, this is why we're gathered today. Because he has risen because he got up and because he declared to these women go and tell somebody that I am coming to show myself to them as well Jesus we thank you for your life we thank you for your crucifixion and we thank you for your resurrection God we ask you to be present with us in this message we ask you to be present with us in our lives I ask you to speak through me today and let people see you clearly. Thank you that those who are far from you are coming close to you today. Those who don't know you are meeting you today, Jesus. And I thank you that every day we celebrate the gift that you are in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I hope out of today you are... I hope that out of today, you have lots of amazing plans after this to go and sit at tables and have Easter lunch or Easter dinner. Easter lunch is kind of a big deal, isn't it? It's like a whole thing. And I hope that your celebration of today doesn't end here in this service. This is an important part of what we do. But we carry this with us as we leave here. And we gather with people that we love. And we gather with people that we're connected to. And we celebrate a meal that says, hey, Jesus is risen. And he's called us to sit around this table together and talk about his goodness. And talk about his faithfulness. And talk about how he continues to get up. I mean, there are a lot of plans going into what is happening later today. What is happening around tables and lunches and in dinners. I mean, people were up early this morning already preparing roasts for you somewhere. Somebody was up early this morning already making sure a turkey got in. I mean, where are all my cooks at? Right? Who you're like, yes, bless you. I have been relegated to side dishes and not even like the meaningful side dishes. I have been relegated to the insignificant side dishes, right? Like not the, I mean, there's a hierarchy in side dishes, you know? There, I mean, there's the roast, which is the, that is the main event. They don't let me anywhere near the roast because if the roast goes awry, the lunch has gone awry. And then there's like the mashed potatoes, right? That is like, that is at the top of the side dish chain. Right, And so you have to have a certain level of expertise to be given a side dish like the mashed potatoes. They relegate me to the side dishes that have little to no significance. The ones that if somebody messes them up or forgets about them, it's okay. Every, like I am right above bringing paper products. <laughs> that's where I am on the list today. And that's all right. I'm okay with that because that is just how things have worked out. But the thing that happens around the table, and when I think about all of us gathered around tables later today, when I think about what happens when we sit and we talk about him, and I started thinking about my family in Australia who's already celebrating their Easter because they live in the future, you know, in Australia. And I think about they are going to have this dish called a pavlova. Has anybody ever had pavlova? 
It's a dessert. It's an Australian dessert. And um, so a pavlova is, it's, it's shaped, it's kind of like a pie. It's round like a pie. It's, I don't want you to think it's a pie, though, because it's not a pie at all, but it's round like that. And then they kind of like whip up. They mix like egg. I don't know what they make. I mean, come on, I'm relegated to lower side dishes. I don't know what they put in it, but they whip up some stuff, and it's nice and airy and fluffy, kind of like a meringue, if you've had a meringue. But it's, it's not a meringue, but it's similar to a meringue in that it's like light and fluffy like that. And then they always put all of this fruit on top of it. So it's a little bit sweet and it's a little bit tart. And there's all these different colored fruits, like a fruit salad, but it's not a fruit salad. So don't think that it's a fruit salad. It's just that they put fruit. Have you ever been trying to explain something to somebody that they have never had or that they've never seen or that they've never experienced? And all you know to do is kind of pull on some things that they might have experienced or they might have. No, I don't know how to explain to you what a pavlova is because a pavlova is just, it's a pavlova. It's kind of like a pie because it's shaped like a pie, but it's not a pie. And it's kind of like a meringue because it's fluffy like a meringue, but it's not a meringue. And it's kind of like a fruit salad because it has lots of fruit on it, but it's not a fruit salad at all. It's just, it's a, it's a pavlova. It's unlike other things. It's just a pavlova. And how do we describe this Jesus that we love? And how do we describe this Jesus that we serve this Jesus that that is is like us because he he came to us but he's also totally unlike us in any way he's he's kind of like a man but but he's not because he's he's not like anything else that you've ever known he's not like anyone else that you've ever encountered he's he's just utterly his own this Jesus that we know, this Jesus that came to us, this Jesus that walked among us, he's like us, and that he was born of a woman. He grew in her for nine months, and he was born in the way that you and I were born and came into the world, but also he's, he's unlike us because he was born from a woman who had never been with a man, conceived of God. So he, he's kind of like you, but he's not like you at all and he's like us because after he was born he had to grow and he had to learn and somebody had to teach him to walk and to speak and to read but he's also not like us at all because when he was 12 years old he sat in the synagogue teaching and discussing the scriptures that somebody had taught him to read with the elders how that's not what my 12 year old well I don't have a 12 year old but is that what your 12 year olds are doing sitting and chatting and discussing scripture all afternoon long. No, he's unlike us. You look and you say he's not like us at all and he's like us because he experienced hunger and he experienced heartbreak and he knew what it was to be tired and he knew what it was to walk and to long and he knew what it was to be in relationship and have friendships and to want to gather people around him and to say I have people that I'm close to and that I'm sharing my life with. He was like us in that but he was also totally unlike us because he chose to make his friends the people that other people had cast aside. He chose to make his friends those that no one else wanted to be close to. He chose to make his friends the people that other people would talk about him for being close to and hanging out with you. When you go to find friends, do you say, now who will other people talk about me the most if I invite them over to my house today? That's not how we make friends, but Jesus was like us in that he needed friendship, but unlike us in that he sought after those that no one else wanted to be around. 
He sought after those that no one else wanted to draw close to. He walked around teaching us every day that he was like us and unlike us, all at the same time. He was like us and that he wept. He was like us and that he loved. He was like us and that he felt and experienced temptation, but unlike us and that he overcame temptation. What does Hebrews 4 tells us? Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus was like us for he who, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted like we are. But he was without sin. He didn't give in to temptation. He didn't walk in the path of temptation. He didn't yield to temptation like you and I do so often. We feel the temptation and we say, yeah, I am going to eat that whole tub of ice cream tonight. You know what I mean? That sounds good. I'm going to go after that whole thing. I don't know that that's necessarily a sin, although it could be, you know? Sometimes we want to think of, you know, I don't know, we put a hierarchy to our sins as well, the higher things. Oh, your temptation that you slept with somebody that you shouldn't have slept with, yeah. But also my temptation to get involved in things, to yield to things that are not bringing me closer to who he is. My temptation to want to talk about somebody that I don't need to be talking about. My temptation to say yes to things that I never should have been part of. My temptation to hunger after things that I never should have been hungering after. To be drawn in all kinds of different directions. And it says that he felt these things. He felt the pull to be drawn in different directions. He felt the pull to get his attention distracted. He felt the pull to not stay focused but he didn't yield to the pull of that temptation instead he never sinned he lived this totally blameless life who is this Jesus that we follow this Jesus that we serve who was like us in so many respects but unlike us in so many ways this Jesus who was like us in that He died. He died in the most mortal experience you can have. He died in crucifixion on a cross. Now, a friend of mine several years ago asked me this question that has stuck with me. My friend who is not a follower of Jesus and, but is a historian and a politician and we were discussing faith one day and he said, here's the thing, I don't get what the big thing about the cross and the crucifixion really is and if you're in this room or if you're online and you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, I can't believe he dared to say that. But here, here is his logic which makes sense. He said, as a historian, he said of the thousands of other people who also died on a cross, under Roman reign. There were thousands of other people. Jesus is not the only man to ever be hung up on a cross. Jesus is not the only man to ever suffer the torture of a death by cross. What is it about the crucifixion of Jesus? And he's right. In the year AD, 4 AD alone, over 2,000 people were recorded to have lost their life to crucifixion under Roman reign. This horrific, tormenting, tragic death that happens on a cross in the year four alone, 2,000 people. Now, I am not a mathematician, but I did rough math, and it's like more than five people a day were being hung up on a cross. And he said, what is it about this experience? And we could say that perhaps... 
Perhaps it is Jesus' willingness, his, his willingness to go to the cross, the fact that he offered himself, that though he was God with waiting with heaven's host at his beckoning call, that he could have called all of heaven to come and to rescue him, that he willingly gave his life, this Jesus that we serve, that when they came to get him, one of his disciples reached out and cut off the ear of one of the people to fight him. And not only did Jesus tell him, I need you to back down, he reached down and picked up that ear and put it back on. He healed the man in the midst of the man coming to take him. We could say that it's the surrender of Jesus and the fact that in the midst of being drawn away, he was still willing to heal people. And aren't you glad that we serve a savior, that even when you're hurt by his followers, he's there to heal you. And if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear that if you've been hurt by somebody who's close to Jesus, don't blame Jesus for the hurt of the people who were close to him. Look to Jesus because he will heal you in the same way that he reached down and put that man's ear back on the side of his head. He will reach down and he will heal your heart and he will heal your soul because Jesus is the healer. We could say that it was his willingness to walk to the cross, his willingness to surrender to this horrific death that was before him. We could, but he's not the only martyr that ever was. And he's not the only martyr that would ever be after him. There were others that came and that willingly because of their ideals and their beliefs went to the cross in this horrific death. There is something about the crucifixion that is a moment when Jesus is utterly human utterly suffering under the pain that it means to be human, utterly connecting with the likeness that you would experience, that he is hanging there beaten and broken, his body suffering, his body bleeding out. He is all of the sudden experiencing the horrific suffering that it means to be human. He is experiencing the pain and the anguish that we feel to be misrepresented and misunderstood. He is carrying the heaviness that it means to be betrayed and abandoned by the people who are closest to you. There is something utterly like what it is to be human, to think about the crucifixion and Jesus hanging on that cross. If you have ever suffered in your body, if you have ever suffered in your soul, Jesus knows what it's like and you have a savior who walked in that path. If you have ever been misrepresented and misunderstood in a situation and said they're saying about me things that are totally untrue, they're believing about me that I'm someone that I'm not. They thought Jesus was a sinner. They thought Jesus was a liar. They thought Jesus was a zealot and he was none of those things. He was God in perfect form but he hung there knowing what it was and he felt the weight of what it meant to carry sin. Though he had walked with no sin, it says that he took all of our sin upon him and he knew what it was to feel the pain and the anguish of sin. Let me explain it to you like this well you know if you lie to somebody and then you go away and you feel bad about that you feel bad about that when you lie to people right lord have mercy this crowd in here you go away and you feel bad about that you feel a heaviness you feel that ugh on the inside of you like you're like why i don't i know i just did that that's what it feels like when you do one sin in your life 
Jesus took on that, ugh, that heaviness, that pain, that torment for all of the sin that there ever had been and there ever would be. He hung on the cross and suddenly he felt what it feels like to sin. He had never experienced the feeling of sin in his life, but as he walked to the cross, suddenly he experienced something that is utterly human to know what it's like to feel that I have stepped outside of God's perfect will for my life. And then finally he experienced in the final moments an experience that is uniquely human to know what it feels like to be distant from God to know what it feels like to not feel the closeness and the presence of God in your life as he hung there on the cross getting ready to breathe his final moments Matthew records it for us in Matthew 27. Jesus hanging there on the cross, and it was about the ninth hour, and Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemai sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a feeling that he had never experienced before. It's a moment that he had never had before. But because he came to be like us, Jesus had to have the feeling that you and I have experienced of feeling forsaken by God, of feeling far from God, of feeling outside of the presence of God because he came to be like us. And he hung there on a cross and then he died he breathed his last and he died a mortal death like you and like I he hung on the cross dying with no breath left in his body with no beating in his heart left to be heard and suddenly a man named Joseph came and Joseph said I've been following Jesus for a while. Joseph is interesting because it says that he was a follower of Jesus, but in secret. Like he didn't want nobody to know about it, right? And this is what I think Joseph's life tells us, is that, is that it's okay sometimes for you to, it says that he was afraid of what other people would think about him, so he followed Jesus in secret. And it's okay sometimes when we're afraid and when we're unsure for us to follow Jesus in a private place. But what I also want you to hear from Joseph's life is that eventually there will come a moment in your life where what is private in your life about you and Jesus has to become public in your life about you and about Jesus. And Joseph came to this moment where he said, I've been following Jesus privately, but he's hanging there and I can't leave him hanging there anymore. And Joseph went and he said, I have a new tomb. I have an empty tomb. Will you let me take the body and will Will you let me let it lay in my tomb? And Joseph took the body off of the cross and he wrapped it in linen and he went and he laid the lifeless body of Jesus there in a tomb and they rolled a stone in front of it and the soldiers sealed it and the soldiers stood there in front of it because they didn't want anyone to come and to get the body. They were afraid that those who had followed him would come and would try to steal the body. And so they left it laying there and everyone went to their homes for their Sabbath. And everyone went confused, lost, misunderstood. 
And after the Sabbath had finished, the women returned to the tomb to finish the embalming process. And when they got to the tomb, they got to the tomb and they were about to discover that though Jesus had become like us in suffering, though he had become like us in pain, though he had become like us in turmoil, though he had become like us in heartbreak, though he had become like us to be our perfect example, though he had become like us in betrayal, though he had become like us in every weight and in every temptation, though he had become like us even unto death, Jesus was utterly unlike us. There was nothing about him like us anymore because though he died like you and like I and though he died like just a mortal man, though he hung on a cross like thousands of others had before him, when they laid him in the tomb, the tomb couldn't hold him and the grave couldn't hold him and death couldn't hold him because it says that when they got there, they found an empty tomb. They found a tomb that was empty, a tomb that was barren because Jesus had risen again. It said that life had come back inside his body it said that resurrection power had come back inside his body it says that Jesus got up out of that tomb showing to them that he is totally unlike us that he is totally unlike anyone else that he is totally unlike anyone who had ever been that unlike the thousands of others who had died and hung on a cross though unlike the thousands of others who had sinned and walked and wandered from God there was nothing like him that was like us at all. No, see, Jesus came for you. He suffered so that you could know healing. He became broken so that you could know wholeness. He was tempted so that you could overcome. He walked a broken and a life with others so that you could live life victorious. And he died so that you could live. Jesus is unlike any other, unlike anyone you have ever experienced, unlike anyone you have ever been close to. He is God Almighty walking around in flesh and in blood. He is King of kings and he is Lord of lords and he is unlike anyone else. He is the great God who said you couldn't get to me so I came to get to you. And it says he thought about you. You are why he came. You are why he stepped out of heaven and walked around in flesh and in blood. You, it says that he saw you. When he cried out in the garden, when he walked the long road to the cross, when he hung there bleeding and crying out and breathing his last, it says he looked into eternity and he saw your face. And he said, God, it's worth it. It's worth it. When he saw you, he said the pain and the suffering and the torment and the hurt, it's worth it so that they can experience wholeness. It's worth it so that they can experience overcoming. It's worth it so that they can experience life and life abundantly. It's worth it. I experienced separation from God so that they could experience life with God, relationship with God, connection with God. And this Jesus 
This Jesus, who is unlike any other, became like you and I, and walked like you and I, and lived like you and I, and died like you and I, so he could rise again unlike anyone who has ever been or will ever be, so he could reach out to you and to I and say, come and experience a life that is unlike any life you have ever experienced before. Come and live like me. Come and be in relationship with me. Come and learn the ways that I do things. Come and sit with me and come and be like me. Jesus, who is unlike any other, invites each and every one of us to come and be like him so that we too can be unlike any other.